Hello, and welcome back to Off Campus History. I'm your host, Lewis Reedwood. For today's episode, we're talking about Hamilton, an American musical, often just known as Hamilton. For most people, this musical needs no spiel, but for both audience members who haven't heard of this show yet, I'll give you a quick introduction. Hamilton is a Broadway musical created by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It focuses on the life of Alexander Hamilton, a founding father and the first Secretary of the Treasury of the United States. In doing so, the musical also offers a more general interpretation of the American Revolution, the early Republic period, and in some ways, American history as a whole. Miranda has described the show as, quote, a story about America then told by America now, end quote. And the show is notable for, at least in its iconic and original Broadway cast, although I think this is also true of later castings, a cast comprised of almost entirely actors of color portraying characters based on white historical figures. The musical also foregrounds musical genres such as rap and R&B that are more associated with communities of color. Miranda's musical first premiered in 2015 and has since become an international sensation. The musical was nominated for a record-breaking 16 Tony Awards in 2016, taking home 11 of them. It's also one of the most profitable musicals of all time, grossing over 600 million US dollars in ticket sales. In early 2020, Disney acquired the rights to distribute a theatrical release of the musical with its original Broadway cast and released it on its streaming service Disney Plus in July 2020. This is incidentally how I watched the musical. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about how this musical portrays the history of the period and the characters it focuses on. We discuss what the musical's message about American history is. To cover all this, I'm joined by Hannah Suxdorf. Hannah is a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto. Her main research focuses on the Italian Renaissance, but she has an additional area of specialization in U.S. history. Hannah has taught U.S. history and planned some ways that historians can use Hamilton as an entry point to teaching their students about American history more generally. We've got a great episode for you today, so let's get into it. I'm very excited to be joined on the podcast by my friend and colleague, Hannah Suxdorf. Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Lewis. It's great to be here. Hannah, would you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and who you are and what your research and yeah. historical knowledge is all about? <laughs> sure, sure. So I am a sixth-year PhD candidate in history at University of Toronto, and my research is about religious conversion in 16th and 17th century Italy. So a little bit different from the world of Hamilton that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. However, I do have extensive teaching experience in this area. I've taught U.S. history courses in the past. I'm teaching one this year. I did one of my fields in this area, my comprehensive exam. So I've read a lot of books. And one of my projects that I started early in the pandemic to keep myself sane was designing my dream class to teach around the musical Hamilton and using it as kind of, yeah, using it as a a jumping off point for talking about larger themes in U.S. history. So I'm a huge fan of the show and musical theater generally, and I've been thinking about kind of Hamilton as a work of public history for a while now. Very cool. I think this is a really fun topic to do for an episode. Same. You know, I've been a teaching assistant for a couple of U.S. history classes. Of course, U.S. history is my, my main field. And so many students come in because they're interested in Hamilton yes. or they're, they're, you know, I often ask my students on the first day of class, like, well, what, what are you most interested to learn about in U.S. history? And so many of them now talk about the American Revolution. And I think partly because of Hamilton. Yes. It has been interesting to me to see a lot of Canadian students very interested in the show because it is such an American production, as we'll talk about a U.S. story. And yet the music, I mean, the music is just so good and it resonates. The themes resonate with folks, even when, you know, it's not about your national history. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, I've had some students specifically say they're taking the class because they liked Hamilton. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone who hasn't seen Hamilton, can you describe it briefly? Sure. So on the surface, it sounds a little ridiculous. And yet it's incredible. <laughs> so... Hamilton is a 
hip-hop musical about the life of Alexander Hamilton that debuted on Broadway in 2015 and was the kind of cultural phenomenon that we haven't really seen from any stage production in a long, long time. It broke sales records, tickets sold out instantly, it won 11 Tonys, its cast album won a Grammy. Disney Plus released a filmed version of a live production with the original cast last summer. Mm-hmm. So you know, it really kind of burst onto the stage in 2015, has stayed popular since, and even more recently come into the fore. To explain a little bit about hip-hop musical and who is this Hamilton guy, so Alexander Hamilton was probably best known in the U.S. for being the first Treasury Secretary of the United States under President George Washington. His face is currently on the $10 bill. He was also very well known for being one of the most vocal and prolific supporters of the U.S. Constitution when its ratification was being debated in the 1780s. As the show dramatizes, in the span of six months, he wrote 51 essays in support of the Constitution. So a voluminous writer, a holder of strong opinions. And he was also somewhat famously, infamously killed in a duel in 1804 with Aaron Burr, who was his kind of political frenemy and at that time vice president of the United States. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a, you know, Hamilton's life and really broad overview. The show dramatizes all of these things. But why a hip-hop musical? And what, what even is that? So the show was created by a man named Lin-Manuel Miranda, who had previously done a show called In the Heights that used a lot of salsa and reggae to talk about his neighborhood in New York. They recently made it into a film version, so you might know it. Mm-hmm. And he, we actually, we know a decent bit about the show's genesis, both from interviews that Miranda and the cast have given, as well as this book called Hamilton the Revolution, which if you're a big fan of the show, I I totally recommend it. It is the full libretto. So all the text of the show, and there's a lot because it's wrapped and it is very dense, Mm -hmm. along with Miranda's show notes, as well as just essays about the show's development over time. And Miranda talks about reading Ron Chernow's 2004 biography of Hamilton back in kind of 2008 and thinking this guy, this Hamilton guy embodies the spirit of hip hop with his kind of hard scrabble beginnings which the show dramatizes, he immigrated from Nevis in the British Caribbean to New York when he was fairly young, uh, was functionally orphaned at age 12, and became a close-age Journal Washington and rose and married his way up the ranks. So Miranda really sees that Hamilton embodies kind of the hardscrabble, fast-living, striving, and revolutionary ethos of hip-hop. And he wrote a whole musical about it that we all get to enjoy. It's an incredible musical, right? And, and very, very entertaining. I watched the Disney version okay. last winter, which is the the one with the the original cast. Yes. I could not could not afford uh, oh, the actual tickets, of course. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned the two thousand four biography, yeah, by by Chernow. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and what we know about how Lin Manuel Miranda used that as source material for the musical? Sure. So, yeah, and I think understanding the book is really important for understanding the show's particular take on Hamilton and the U.S. more generally. Mm -hmm. So Ron Chernow is a journalist. He's got a lot of expertise in finance and banking. So in some ways, Hamilton is is a subject that's right up his alley for a biography. He's, He's a great writer. Having read some of the book, I can understand why it was a bestseller in 2004 and has been popular ever since. And the book is, some historians talk about it as part of this literary movement in the late 90s and early 2000s that they call Founders Chic. So this really kind of started with some books by Joseph Ellis about founding brothers and Thomas Jefferson Uh, David McCulloch wrote a a big book about John Adams. Walter Isaacson has one on Ben Franklin. And these books tend to be very interested in the character of the people they're exploring and also present these people as having a really outsized impact on the, the shape of the nation's early institutions and its political culture. So in some ways, the books have a tendency to sort of equate the character of these people with the character of the new nation. Right. And Hamilton, the book does this and Hamilton, the show is actually really explicit about this with, you know, the famous lyric, I'm just like my country, I'm young, scrappy and hungry. 
in which Hamilton's personality is in some ways also the personality of, of the U.S., both in this particular historical moment and more generally. So Founder Sheik tends to identify personality of the person being studied with the character of the new nation. This can be a bit of a problem when some of the pivotal figures in the development of early U.S. institutions, like, say, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, were slaveholders. Because if we're identifying them with the nation, then are we identifying the U.S. with the institution of slavery? Hamilton seems to solve that problem because he wasn't a major slaveholder on the scale that Jefferson and Washington and James Madison were. So, and he, Hamilton had some involvement in manumission, at least the New York Manumission Society. So supporting individual slaveholders manumitting or freeing their enslaved workers. But the evidence on whether or not he and his very wealthy wife and their in-laws owned enslaved people is, is pretty mixed. This is something that the show and the book really exaggerate Hamilton's anti-slavery credentials. And I'm happy to say more about that at some point, but uh-huh. that's that's kind of an overview of Founder Chic and how we see some of those same dynamics in the show. I think a lot of this genre of, I guess, literature, although it's not only literature specifically, there's a lot of content that's sort of like this, you know, the, the John Adams documentary series also comes to mind. Mm-hmm. A lot of this genre tends to glorify the the figure being presented. It's hard to have a sort of Founder Chic documentary that's Mm. in the aggregate critical of the person i mean there's there's sort of moments you know even in the musical where they sort of suggest some character flaws of hamilton or Mm -hmm. but but overall the portrayal is very positive yeah i do you know i was i was listening actually to an old podcast of some historians talking about the musical the other day and i will say that with the exception of george washington most of the characters portrayed in this in the show really are quite flawed. Hamilton is a deeply flawed character. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, his antagonist, Aaron Burr, who is in many ways a foil to him, is actually a deeply sympathetic character. Hmm. One thing I think I really appreciate about the show is how rich a lot of the characterizations are. You can often understand where different people are coming from. When they get into arguments, both sides usually make good points. There are, again, with the exception of Washington, there really are no saints in this story. Hmm. Yeah, so... Miranda and some of the other showmakers talk about this as sort of talking about the founders, warts and all, which I think it sort of does. I do think the portrayal of Hamilton's stance on slavery is a little problematic as it pertains to the show's message about the U.S. more generally. Right. That makes sense. I do think this is sort of the show and the book. It's based on it sounds like, although I haven't read it myself. But the show certainly is is sort of an inversion of a typical... Hmm way of thinking about the founders in the sense that for a lot of time in U.S. history and public memory, Jefferson is the hero and Hamilton is sort of the antagonist to Jefferson, Mm. where Jefferson is sort of the hero of the common man and Hamilton is this sort of elitist financier type. Right. And that's for a long time how Hamilton was thought about increasingly Jefferson is a less appealing hero yep. for American history because of his relationship with slavery and as a as a large plantation holder and mm-hmm. and so forth. And so this musical is is interesting in that it, it sort of flips that dynamic where Jefferson is is a, sort of one of the more antagonistic characters. Yes. Certainly one of one of Hamilton's antagonists and Hamilton yes. is more so the heroic character. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, he is the protagonist of the show, so the show is going to ask you to sympathize with him. Mm -hmm. I do think, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about kind of how the public perception of these two figures has shifted over time. I think the late 90s was a bit of a flashpoint for our perceptions of Jefferson. That was when it basically we had some confirmed DNA evidence that Jefferson had likely fathered children by Sally Hemings, one of his enslaved women who it seems was probably his mistress. And of course, as far as we know, Hamilton doesn't have that, any of those kinds of transgressions. So that seems to make him a more sympathetic character in some ways, even though I think there is some truth to his politics. The show does not get into this at all. This is some of the rougher edges of Hamilton that the show just occludes 
or smooths over. Some of his politics were really elitist. The show tells us that he gave a six-hour speech at the Constitutional Convention, but doesn't tell us that he proposed a form of government with an elected head of state who would serve for life, which Mm kind of sounds like a monarchy and sounded like a monarchy to a lot of people at the time. Or, you know, that later in his life, he supported the Alien and Sedition Acts, which made it a lot easier for the federal government to deport foreign nationals they suspected of espionage. And the, and the show really plays up Hamilton's immigrant background. You know, he's he came from the Caribbean to New York and he worked his way up and here he is. And yet, historically, I mean, there's some truth to that. His, his politics weren't necessarily man. He wasn't necessarily man of the people in reality, even if the character in the show that way is so captivating and compelling. I, I would agree with that. I was going to mention the Alien and Sedition Act. Okay in which it certainly kind of undermines in particular the idea that Hamilton is sort of the champion of the, the immigrant. Yes. Why do you think this musical is so popular and captivating for people? Is it just that like the show has catchy songs and yeah. cool costumes and that sort of thing? Or do you think there's something specific about the story mm-hmm. it tells about Alexander Hamilton, the American Revolution and the early Republic and so forth? Yeah. That draws people in yeah oh man i could go on and on about this for a while partly because (laughs) i'm such a big fan of the show myself to be upfront about you know where i stand here so i think to call the songs catchy i mean they are but there's so much more than that so Mm -hmm. one reason why this show is so popular is that as a work of musical theater i find it pretty astounding and a lot of critics did too in that the songs are just good, really good. Mm-hmm. Taste is obviously subjective. For a lot of us, this music is just really good. Because it's a lot of rap and hip hop, it's really lyrically dense. So you get, there's rhyming all over the place. You get through so much material. Even the exposition really moves and drives because it's rapped. There's so many different moving parts musically. There's hardly a motif that doesn't reappear at some point. And all these parts seem to fit together so seamlessly, even though there's, you know, a wide variety of, of genres and even like human experiences being explored in this musical. So one one thing that I think doesn't get talked about quite enough in this show is just how much of an emotional wallop it packs. You, I mean, it, it's dealing with really big themes and high stakes of life and death and betrayal and forgiveness and love and... That leads us to have, you know, we've got these quick-witted rap battles about financial policy. We've got, you know, what sounds like a top 40 club banger when Hamilton is ensnared in a sex scandal. And then we've got really, like, heart-wrenching songs about grief and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And then it manages, manages to do all of this in a narratively cohesive way with really compelling characters. Is is part Like, it's just good is the short answer to part of the popularity question. Mm-hmm. Another big piece of this puzzle is that Hamilton appeals to demographics that are not usually served by Broadway. So Broadway is traditionally a pretty white space. It's a lot of white songwriters and producers making songs for white actors to sing to mostly white upper middle class audiences. You alluded to the high price of tickets and that, yes. <laughs> that definitely shapes the audiences, the audience demographics and this show by incorporating hip-hop and rap and by casting almost exclusively actors of color in all of the principal roles with the exception of king george the third who is a delight by the way oh very funny yes, yes. <laughs> one of my favorites really in by in both of those aspects it really spoke to a lot of younger people and people of color who have not traditionally been served by this art form And the story that it tells about the U.S., and this comes through particularly in the show's, the cast's performance at the 2016 Tonys, which Barack and Michelle Obama introduce. So much of this show reflects the Obama era. It's really a product of its time. Hmm. And the story that Hamilton tells about the U.S. and that the Obamas reiterate is that the U.S. is a place of inclusiveness where immigrants get the job done Anyone can come from anywhere and rise through the ranks. You can, if you work hard enough, you can make it. 
And that is a really compelling story for a lot of us. And it's also a story of the U.S. founding that people of color haven't traditionally seen themselves in before. Uh The story has usually been told by and about four white people. And many viewers, as well as actors in the original cast, have talked about feeling like the story now belongs to them, like they have some kind of ownership in a way that they didn't have before. So all of that together helps explain why the show has been and continues to be such a phenomenon. Yeah, I think that's that's true. One thing that stands out to me about the, the response to the musical is that both left-leaning and right-leaning people tend to really like it. Uh, or, you know, not everyone, obviously, but, but it, it's not an issue where sort of one political party hates it and the other really likes it or something. Right. And I think that speaks to the fact that on the one hand, there's a way of uh, interpreting it as a, you know, an inclusive America, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, immigrants are welcome, where, where people of color can, can see themselves in the history. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's a way of looking, you know, sort of the, the conservative version of American history is very celebratory mm-hmm. of the founding. Yes. Yes. And something like this musical includes people of color in the casting, uh, but is fundamentally celebratory of the founding still. And so there's a way that conservatives might look at this and say, yes, everyone in America should celebrate the founding, even people who haven't traditionally celebrated the founding as much as we Mm -hmm. have. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. It is, it's a triumphalist narrative of early U.S. history, early Republican, early Republican U.S. history that is often trumpeted by more in conservative circles, particularly kind of in the late 90s and even today in the U.S., there's arguments about, like, should U.S. history teach students to love their country? Right. Uh, Which is kind of a goal of a lot of more conservative cultural critics. Mm -hmm. Or teach them to critique it, which some on the further left might might say. And the, the show sort of, particularly in the way it deals with slavery, it acknowledges it, but doesn't claim that slavery is sort of integral to the U.S. Mm-hmm. In the show, it's almost like you can have the United States separate from slavery. And, and it's interesting to me, too, that the show, even though all the principal actors are characters of color, all the principal characters are played by actors of color, race is never actually mentioned or discussed. Right. And there aren't any characters of color in the show, even if they're all played by actors of color. So it really is a, a great man depiction of history, one that like social historians in the 60s and 70s really tried to get away from and to focus more on on marginalized groups like Native Americans, women, African Americans. And but yes, but the casting seems to sort of welcome everyone into it, even though it is this great man version of history. And uh, Lyra Montero, who is a professor at Rutgers and a fan of the show, has criticized the casting somewhat for obscuring the actual role of people of color in these events in the past. So for one example, as one example, the character uh, Hercules Mulligan in the first act, he is a, a tailor for the British Army, and he's also a spy for the Patriots. In reality, he owned an enslaved boy named Cato, who actually did the relaying of information to the Patriots. Cato never appears in the show. Right. So Montero's critique is partly that the casting obscures the real role of people of color in the story. And, and she, she sort of ends that essay, I think the one I shared with you, by asking, is this the version of U.S. history that we really want our students to identify with? Hmm. One that is both the celebratory and and simplifies some complexities. And that's a bigger question we can talk about if you want, Lewis. Sure, yeah, we we can get into that right now. Yeah, I think, I mean, so essentially people of color are cast in the show, but the the history of race, as it's depicted, is sort of taking Mm -hmm. a, a backseat in some ways. And I think it's telling, I think this was maybe in the piece by Lyra Montero, that Slavery in particular is really only only ever appears as a way of sort of identifying like which characters that historically were white people are mm-hmm. like the ones you should think are good or bad, right? Like uh, it's used as a way to sort of 
elevate Hamilton when he talks mm-hmm. about being involved with the Manumission Society. Mm-hmm. It's used as a, a criticism of Jefferson. Yeah. That's sort of the most substantive mention of slavery in the show is it's like a rap battle between Hamilton and Jefferson in which Hamilton has a verse about Jefferson's plantation mm-hmm. and, and slaveholding. But actual enslaved people as characters don't really appear in the show. Right, right. Yeah. There is actually, so there was a third cabinet rat battle about slavery that they cut from the show. Hmm. For, for narrative reasons, for time reasons, to keep it moving. In the book Hamilton the Revolution, Miranda writes that, you know, the main point was that they disagreed, but they didn't actually do anything about it. So we're moving on. I think, so to go back to Montero's question of, of do we want young people of color to identify with this great man version of history? I think this is a wonderful opportunity for historians as educators. So if we're using the show in the classroom, we can have our students put back in some of the complexity that's elided in this show. Hmm. So for instance, what happens if how, yeah, what happens to the show as a whole if we put Cato into it? Right. What happens if we see Hamilton buying and selling enslaved people for his in-laws? What happened? What would happen if there were any Native American characters at all? Mm. The show completely erases the role of indigenous people mm. in U.S. history. What would happen if we staged the room where it happens differently? So this is a song where Burr, Aaron Burr is lamenting being excluded from an important dinner where Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison made this really big deal. Mm-hmm. And so he keeps singing how much he wants to be in the room where it happens and how no one else was in the room where it happens. Of course, however, there would have been enslaved people serving that dinner. Right. There were other people in that room. So what would the show look like if we staged that differently and had people, enslaved people serving them dinner? Would the show still hold together narratively? And what would its story about the U.S. be? I think that is a great question for our students in a way that like we can help them do history using material they already love and asking and get them asking big questions and in a way that I think they'd be kind of jazzed and excited to do. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I might you know, steal that for my syllabus one Go day. Go for it. <laughs> no, I think I think that's a that's a really interesting question to think about and I think definitely a, an important thing to keep in mind when people watch the musical. Yes. Do you have any uh, other, other, I mean, obviously we've been discussing this to some extent, but mm-hmm. other thoughts on how the musical, or, or what are your thoughts on the musical's representation of the period it's talking about, the yeah. American Revolution and the, the early Republic? Mm-hmm. And do you think that its interpretation holds up, essentially? Okay. As a, as a work of musical theater, yes. That's that's one thing I always like to keep in mind mm-hmm. when thinking about Hamilton. You know, this is, it's not a work of history. It's it's musical theater. So it's creators' commitments and their priorities are different than ours would be as historians. Uh, in some ways, I'm actually really glad this wasn't made by historians because Miranda made some really interesting narrative decisions around characters hmm. that I would never, that like, my historian brain would have shut down because I would be too aware of some of the context, basically. <laughs> so I don't, I mean, I don't know if you want to hear this, but for instance, in characterizing Burr, Burr is a foil to Hamilton. So he's, he's very, where Hamilton is impetuous and goes for what he wants and can't shut up about his opinions. Burr is cool and closed off and kind of is going to see where the chips fall and then go from there. Right. So his, one of his big numbers is wait for it. That, that sort of defines Burr as a character. It's a great, great song. Yeah, in the, in the show, he's sort of suggested as like standing for nothing and sort of looking for his opportunity. Exactly, exactly. Which was a, a critique that I think a lot of his critics leveled at him that I'm, I imagine is not entirely fair. In, so in Miranda's notes on the libretto in this book, he talks about how learning about Burr's actually romantic relationships led him to this particular song. So... Burr was involved with a married woman named Theodosia, who was the wife of a British general. Her husband later died. He later married her. They had a daughter named Theodosia. But at this moment in the show, Burr is waiting for her. And Miranda writes that reading that, learning that Burr had waited for her to become available was like 
his way into Burr's caution and reserve as a character. Hmm. And my thought when I read this note, it was like, well, what was Burr supposed to do? Was he supposed to like duel her husband for her hand or like <laughs> abduct her from her home? Like, you know, divorce wouldn't have been an option for her. Hmm. So, so like my historian self would never have thought that that was evidence that Burr was a particularly cautious man. Mm-hmm. But that's where Miranda's head went. And I'm kind of grateful for it, actually, because I do think Burr is such an interesting and well-done character in the show. But that was not your question. I'm trying to remember <laughs> what your original question was. My question was about what you think about the interpretation of history. Oh, <laughs> yes. How well it holds up as a yeah. whole, not yeah. just this one character. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's, I mean, it's good to know about Aaron Burr as well. <laughs> I think... So the show is light on some details, which, yeah. you know, it's going to happen. I mean, yeah. It's a two and there's, there's only so much you can do when you're covering this much material and they already squeeze in so much. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the American revolution is depicted as being kind of loosely about freedom and taxes. And there's an occasional reference to the Boston tea party or the Boston massacre, but we don't dwell on the details very long. Right. Arguments for and against the revolution aren't really debated seriously. There is one scene where Hamilton gets into it with a loyalist, but the point of that scene is is less to explore the different perspectives and more to show how quick-witted Hamilton is and to like throw some shade at New Jersey, uh, kind <laughs> of randomly. Which, I mean, I think as a musical, it's about this one guy. And in this particular phase in his life, he doesn't have important relationships with loyalists, or people who sympathize with the revolution. So I can I can understand why they don't go into that. It's not really the point of what they're doing in the first act. Yeah. So the revolution is loosely about freedom. It's this ragtag army that defeats a global superpower, which was absolutely how I learned about that in high school. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty common, yep. Yes, yes. I think there is some truth to that. Like, you know, Britain had one of the most powerful militaries in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Side note, that song hit the deepest emotional chord to me when I saw the show. Uh, this is not related to your question, but I literally sobbed in the Battle of Yorktown song when the colonists win the war. Like oh, the that, war turned upside down? Yes, the world yeah. turned upside down. Like that song hit the part of my soul where like my grief and my hope for my country are deeply intermingled. It was, hmm. I, it would have been, my crying would have been audible to the person next to me had the music not drowned me out. Hmm. So I think the, the revolution, it's sort of light on some of the details, but it, it has this... Yeah, triumphalist attitude about it. It's very much pro-revolution, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you know I would expect nothing less for a musical about Hamilton. Sure. The early the early Republican period, I do think the show does actually does a good job of capturing how contentious this period was and how fractious, how much disagreement there is about leading the shape this new country is going to take. This is I think it's helped that. Hamilton's personal relationships relate to the politics here. So you mentioned Jefferson as one of his big antagonists. So we do get some actual debate about ideas and policy with Jefferson, whether it's financial policy or foreign involvement. So I think the show does a really good job of capturing the spirit of that period of time, Mm -hmm. as well as the some of the relationships among the the founding fathers. I use I use that term with heavy air quotes, but it is it's helpful shorthand for who we're talking about here, mm. I would say. Yeah, and I can say, we had mentioned talking about the characterizations of the founders more generally, which I can say more about, but I've also spent a long time answering this question, so. Well, my, I, I was going to add, it's sort of about both of those, actually, where I think one thing that you take away from this show when it's talking about political issues of the time is that even those political issues are deeply wrapped up in the personalities mm. of the characters, right? Because that's the way a, a stage production tells these things. Exactly. And that's also often how this period is yes. talked about anyway in to the public is Jefferson and Hamilton are these sort of like puppet figures standing in for the, the like the political issues they represent to some mm. extent, but also like, what do people think about them personally? Mm. And those are very like connected to each other. Yeah. And that's true in the musical where I think to some degree you're supposed to cheer for not only like Hamilton as the guy, but also like Hamilton for his smart policy plan sort of thing. Yeah. 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 I would agree. Which 
again, it's a musical about Hamilton. So like, I, mm-hmm. I, I get that that's what they're going for. I do appreciate that in those rap battles, you know, Thomas Jefferson gets his digs in. Both sides have some, make, make some valid points. Mm-hmm. But what you to go back to some of your earlier comments, I mean, this is great man version of history. So the work of early nation building is entirely these like elevated political debates among elites and not like anything that's happening in any other local community anywhere else in the country with any other group of people. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot, obviously, that would go into making these former colonies into an actual united nation. And we only the only work of that that we see, the show presents that work entirely as the work of political and social elites, when of course it would have been more complicated than that. Certainly. And and I don't think that'll surprise anyone. I also no. don't think I also don't think it'll surprise anyone to know that this is not how a lot of historians are writing about this period anymore. Right. A lot of historians are really interested in experiences of common people, especially marginalized people. Yes. You know, racial minorities, women, but just in general, less focus on Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Hamilton, right. etc. Yep. So we talked a little bit about the casting already, but I think there's some more to say about it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on not just the casting choices, but what they have to say about American history or, or mm. what they represent to us about history? Yeah, that's that's a great way to put that, Lewis. Uh, that makes me think of one of the show's early taglines was that Hamilton is the story of America then told by America now. Mm-hmm. This idea. So I'll I'll kind of run through some of the arguments pro and con for the casting and then just give some of my thoughts. So pro argument, which we've kind of alluded to here, well, partly it's a bit of a practical exigency because most of the performers who can do rap, hip-hop, and R&B really well are not white. That's part, it's partly it's just practical. Another pro argument is that it it opens up the story to other viewers of color. It really is essential to the story, to the show's larger story about the U.S. as an inclusive place that really does belong to all of us, regardless of your background. And another argument for the casting, I would say, is that just in the world of theater, it has opened so many doors for up-and-coming actors and creators of color, as well as that original cast. Mm-hmm. You have somebody like Anthony Ramos, who made his Broadway debut in that show, playing John Lawrence and Hamilton's son, Philip, who since then, you know, has released his own album, starred in In the Heights as the lead. It's really been a, an incredible springboard for really talented actors. So those are some of the arguments for. In the con camp, we have folks like Lyra Montero, who feels the casting obscures the actual contributions of people of color, and also a view typified by Ishmael Reed, who is um, a Black playwright who's a a quite accomplished playwright on Broadway. Uh, And this perspective holds that it is not liberating or empowering to have people of color playing slaveholders. So Reed compared it to casting Jews to play Nazis in like a show about Hitler. He, uh, He does not mince words, much like Hamilton. As for sort of my own perspective, this is a deeply personal question for a lot of viewers of color, particularly for Americans, mm-hmm. and how they relate to their country. And, you know, I'm I'm a middle-class white chick. Like, I'm really not going to tell anybody how to feel about this. I'm not going right. to gainsay either way. That's um, a deeply personal thing. In my own experience, I, 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 I mostly support the casting. I had... This happened the other day. I was leaving through the Chernow book in preparation for this interview, and I came to the plates of images in the middle where they have reproductions of portraits of you know, the figures in this story. And I had to do a double take for a second. I was like, wait, this is Thomas Jefferson? Like, where's David Dix's afro and his purple <laughs> suit? And, you know, John Lawrence is just some skinny white dude, not Anthony Ramos? Like, <laughs> and I, I think it was like actually really good for me to feel that kind of cognitive dissonance. Hmm. It's it's one thing to know intellectually that US history is about more than just socially elite white people. Hmm. And it's another to really internalize that. 
And so I think a show that embodies that, even if there are some problems with that, I think that's a good thing overall. Okay. Yeah. Do you, uh, incidentally, this is, this is not a, a high polluting <laughs> academic question, but do you have a Please. favorite, a favorite performance or a favorite character? Oh my gosh. Oh, how to decide. There's, there's so many incredible moments in the show. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite, okay, if I had to pick a favorite, probably Leslie Odom Jr., who plays Aaron mm. Burr in the original. He's a phenomenal actor and vocalist. He has a wonderful lower register, and I mm. just wish we got to hear it a little more. <laughs> like, I wish I wish they had written lower a lower part for Burr, but right. he's just really compelling. I, I do kind of wish the feminist in me wishes some of the female characters had more to do although mm, for a founder's yeah. chic book they they're actually fairly well represented mm. the so eliza who is hamilton's wife gets a couple of really beautiful moments yeah basically asking him to stay alive during the war and then also when she reconciles with him after he breaks her heart basically mm-hmm. and then when she oh my gosh there are so many parts in this show lewis that ju- <laughs> just make me cry like the part when they reconcile and then Angelica and the chorus come in singing forgiveness. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Like, that just kind of blows my mind. Well, side note, this is kind of random, but, like, I'm I'm kind of a, a Jesus freak, so when I hear that line, forgiveness, can you imagine? I'm like, that's it right there. That's what it's all about. <laughs> and it's just a really moving, really moving moment musically. And then at the very end... So I find if I'm listening to the whole thing through, it's kind of a lot. So by the end, I'm sort of emotionally spent. But if I'm just listening to a song here or there, the very last song will get me every time. So it's after Hamilton has died in this duel hmm. and his wife, Eliza, kind of comes back to center stage a little bit. She puts herself back in the narrative. I live another 50 years. I stop wasting time on tears. It's not enough. She talks about all the things that she goes on to do organizing Hamilton's papers, trying to secure his legacy, uh, raising funds for the Washington Monument. And then she says, can I tell you what I'm most proud of? And she talks about starting the first private orphanage in New York City. Hamilton, of course, was an orphan. Oh, gosh. And she talks about um, getting to watch like hundreds of children grow up. Sorry, this part makes me cry. And how in their eyes, I see you, Alexander. And the way that... Philippa Sue, who is the actress who originated the part, she sings that with so much tenderness that, like, it just, it gets me every, every time. And then at the very end, you, you, this doesn't come through in the soundtrack, but if you watch the stage production on Disney+, Plus, it does. The way they do the very end, Eliza's asking all these questions about, will they tell our story? Will they know who we were? Mm-hmm. And... She crosses over to the other side of stage where Hamilton is, signifying that she has died, has passed on. And at that point, Hamilton breaks the fourth wall and shows her the audience, as if to say, this whole time, all of these people have been hearing our story. Mm-hmm. And she she sort of cries a little bit, and it's just, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah. I could go, I could go on about so many musical moments I love, but it's really, it's so much of it is like, the personal relationships between characters that are just really compelling. Yeah, definitely. I will say as a historian, I think one of the really interesting moments is, uh, is an Eliza moment where sort of after Hamilton or Alexander Hamilton cheats on her, she Mm -hmm. burns a whole bunch of her letters. Yeah. And I think she sort of explicitly says, I don't remember the line exactly, but yeah. it's something like I'm taking myself out of the historical yes, record. That's exactly what she says. Let future historians wonder how Eliza reacted when you broke her heart. Yeah, that was a, a fun line as a, as a historian. Yeah. Well, that's another reason why I think this show lends itself so, way, so well to a history classroom is that history is kind of one of the themes of the mm-hmm. show. And yeah. it, it makes the point repeatedly that history looks different depending on who does the telling. And... I think that's another invitation to our students to to remix the show itself and see how it looks when we're doing the telling with it. Definitely. Yeah. I also I also really like both the David Diggs characters a lot. I, I like know, David Diggs. Right? I think oh. it's so so David Diggs plays both Marquis de Lafayette in the first act and then mm-hmm. in the second act he plays Thomas Jefferson. Yes. And especially Marquis de Lafayette, he 
raps in a French accent, which is <laughs> incredible. And then yes. some of the Jefferson songs are really good too. Yeah, I really like that part. I also really like, as I mentioned earlier, um, King George the Third's oh character. Gosh. So funny. So funny. Uh, and, of, and like, of course, the song about British invasion is sung in the British invasion style. Like, of course, they would do something cheeky and clever like that. And it works so well. It's very good. David Diggs is a really, really charismatic performer. I, I'm not familiar with other people who have played Jefferson. So I can't speak to this a ton. But I, I think that's kind of one of the things that helps make him a worthy adversary to Hamilton and somewhat more sympathetic is just having a really charismatic charismatic and likable actor play Jefferson. Yeah, and I think that's intended to be part of his character, is that Jefferson is sort of the charismatic, flamboyant one who catches yes. people's attention. Hamilton is sort of the, you know, he's not really the popular, cool one no. so much, but he's the intellectual sitting in his office writing 50-something essays for the Federalist Papers. Yeah. Yes. Writing nonstop like he's running out of time, which really should be my motto for dissertating. And yet it's very hard to live out. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Any other thoughts on what the show is doing or accomplishing as a portrayal of history in general? That's, I probably do because I have so many, so many thoughts about this show. I think one thing that is helpful to keep in mind at least for for historians and coming from our perspective. Historians have already done some really good critical engagement with this show. There's a a book of essays called Historians on Hamilton. Lyra Montero has an essay in there. A number of other historians who are a little more appreciative of the casting also chime in there. Mm -hmm. And there's there's also some great essays in there that explain kind of founder chic and how the show and the book embody that genre. There was a... One quotation or one bit of an essay from David Wald Stryker, hmm. who's at uh, Cooney in New York, and Jeffrey Hasley, Hazley, sorry, University of Missouri, where they basically talk about the show subsumes his political issues to questions of character and narrative. Right. And I, th- in that context, it seems like it's meant a bit as a critique, but also that's <laughs> that's what musicals do. Mm-hmm. They're concerned more with character than getting all. of of the historical issues, right? Or exploring every possible complexity. So yeah, I I think we can absolutely appreciate the show for what it is, which is really incredible, I think, for what it is. And use it as an opportunity to engage our students about, yeah, deeper questions about national histories, how useful they are uh, in some ways. I noticed that Canadians don't seem to feel as strongly about their national histories or origins as Americans do on the whole. Mm-hmm. I think this is kind of a very American thing. Yeah, I can't imagine a musical about Johnny McDonald would take off. Oh, no. <laughs> no. That, I mean, well, yeah, especially now. There's some Definitely not McDonald. Good reasons why not. But, uh, yeah. you know, if you were like, here's my Wilfred Laurier musical. <laughs> like, I don't think it's just something about it is not as exciting to people. I mean, I think, I think that... As a Canadian uh, who studies American history, I think yeah. this is a key difference in how Americans and Canadians look at their history. Absolutely. Is that Americans and people, look not just Americans, but like anybody sort of looking at American history, even from the outside, tends to feel like, like America is a country that has a basis in like ideas. Yes. And values of some kind. And generally Americans like those values. Some some people don't, but like right. the, I think that the... the Belief is pretty common that America, America's founding stands for values in some way right. or, or ideas. Whereas Canadians feel like, you know, Canada's founding is just sort of like administrative tinkering. Um, it doesn't really represent anything mm. of note in a way. Like, sure. I, this is not to, you know, if you feel this way, if you're listening to this podcast and you're Canadian, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I think a lot of people mm-hmm. feel like Canada is sort of a, a country that was created because it seemed useful to do so, I guess, rather than like it stands for freedom, which is a very <laughs> right. compelling narrative. Right. So so for many Canadians, the founding doesn't necessarily indicate anything about the character of the nation, the way that it really does for a lot of Americans. That, and I think Canadian history doesn't even have that obvious of like a founding moment that you can point to. Right. A lot of people, and increasingly historians, you know, feel like 
Confederation in 1867, you know, it doesn't represent actual independence, right? I mean, well, that's that's not recent. That's just like a known thing that like Canada was sort of quasi-independent that, at that mm. point. And so it becomes very hard to like trace a founding moment. Right. So I think that that's an important difference. You know, if you're, if you're Canadian, do you emphasize that? Do you emphasize 1931 Statute of Westminster, which is not exciting at all? It's not, it doesn't mm. have the same romantic appeal as right. revolution or... Trudeau in 1982 or I don't know, so right that was one of the things as an American coming here to Canada learning that y'all didn't really have your own constitution until like the 80s kind of blew my mind like mm-hmm. what what's going on but of course you know the U.S. the whole point of like the the formal founding of the country was we wanted to do our own thing and to some degree like the creation of English Canada by English settlers is the opposite Right. It's it's a mm-hmm. lot of at least what is now Ontario and, and a lot of New Brunswick were Tories fleeing the American Revolution, not right. wanting to leave the British Empire. Right. So in some sense, Canada is a foundationally the opposite. We we didn't want to do yeah. the revolution. Right, right, right. Back to your, your question about any kind of final thoughts. Yeah, this is very off topic now. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> no, please. I love this stuff. But my, my actual thought, this this goes actually back more to the Chernow book and to just bigger debates about kind of U.S. history and how we teach it. Chernow, the, the biography received, well, took some flack from professional historians for exaggerating Alexander Hamilton's anti-slavery credentials. Mm-hmm. So, and the show also really runs with this and both book and show repeatedly portray Hamilton as this sort of staunch abolitionist. And the evidence we have for that in the book is kind of weak. A lot of it turn out relies on Hamilton's work with the New York Manumission Society. Mm-hmm. At one point in the show, Hamilton raps about being a manumissionary abolitionist, but of course, manumission and abolition are two different things. Mm-hmm. And we have some evidence now and some evidence in the past that Hamilton married into a very wealthy family and Certainly his in-laws owned enslaved people, and he likely, at the very least, helped them purchase enslaved people. And now we have fairly good evidence that he and his wife may have owned a few as well. Hmm. So late 2020, a researcher came out with a paper claiming to have found pretty definitive documentary evidence that Alexander Hamilton had held enslaved people in bondage. Hmm. Not a lot, but some. And so Smithsonian Magazine reported on this and reached out to Chernoff for comment. And, you know, they, they quoted parts of his email, but there's a portion of it that I thought was really interesting where, where Chernoff just seems kind of, and historians get this way a little bit, I think sometimes with the people we study, a little kind of protective. So mm-hmm. he, so the quote from this is email. He says that while Hamilton was treasury secretary, His anti-slavery activities did lapse, but he resumed them after he returned to New York, working again with the New York Manumission Society. In that role, he helped to defend free Blacks when slave masters from out of state brandished bills of sale and tried to snatch them off the New York streets. Does this sound like a man invested in the perpetuation of slavery? So, and it's that line to me is fascinating it's like there's only two options here mm-hmm. hamilton is either a perpetuator of slavery or he's tearing it down mm-hmm. instead of you know a very messy mix of all of that which is how a lot of the founding figures of this time period are there's you know washington and jefferson express deep misgivings about the institution of slavery and yet washington doesn't liberate his enslaved people until his death mm-hmm. jefferson owned hundreds of enslaved people throughout his life and i think so this is where as educators i I mean we can't ask ron chernow for his feedback on this but like i sort of want to i want to encourage students to ask like why do we think this that well chernow has this stance but also that like we can be very protective and defensive of certain people in the past in some ways or certain ideas about the past and like what do we think is at stake for people why is it so important for us to hold on to this, even when there's evidence to the contrary? Yeah. I think that can open up some helpful discussion, especially in a U.S. context. I think, okay, I'll try to say this quickly and not get too far off topic, but 
the, the one characterization of a founding figure that I did find a little problematic was George Washington, who mm-hmm. definitely he he's just kind of this majestic, aloof figure in a little ways. Like he doesn't really ever seem to make a sta- uh, mistakes. He's above the fray. When they when they cast the actor who played him, I, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> I'm going to quote Manuel Miranda. It involves an expletive. Am I allowed to do this? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Okay, thanks. So when they cast the actor who plays him, Christopher Jackson, Lin Manuel Miranda said he's just fucking majestic, and <laughs> he is. He has this beautiful sonorous baritone, but like that's what they were going for with Washington, and they really don't. The show really deeply underplays his his life as an, a holder of enslaved people. Yes, it really doesn't acknowledge it deeply you mentioned that sort of the show uses slavery sometimes to knock jefferson down a peg and hamilton up some never uses it to implicate washington really yes even though yeah you know it's fascinating listening listening to this soundtrack and then listening to an episode of a podcast uncivil which is Mm -hmm. all about the civil war but there's an episode about a woman named ona judge who was an enslaved woman at mount vernon Washington's plantation who ran away and the pod this episode is all about the incredible lengths Washington went to try to get her back incredible lengths and when you juxtapose these two characterizations there is no room in Hamilton's version of Washington for this person who relentlessly went after people who wanted their freedom yeah so that's that's one area where again I think as as educators, we can do a lot with this and with students. I also, sorry, I could just keep going on and on about my ideas for the show in the classroom if you want. Like, giving students <laughs> the option of doing, like, rap battles between, like, Hamilton's take on slavery and, like, the 1619 Project's take on slavery, which is hmm. very different than Hamilton's and argues that slavery is, like, central to the founding of the of the nation. Right. Anyway, there's just, I okay, if I had to sum up my take on the show in the context of history... I would say that it is problematic, but like productively so. Hmm. I think there's just so much we can do with it. And partly because I'm just so enamored of it musically, I think of this show kind of as like a gift to the world in a way. And the question then becomes, what do we do with it as listeners and as historians? I think that that's a really interesting, those are really interesting points. I think, you know, about Washington, I totally agree that, and it, it stands out especially given that, it is brought up for Jefferson sometimes, but mm-hmm. basically never for Washington, when yep. really they were both elite plantation mm-hmm. slaveholders. And it stands out to me, it comes back to, yeah, what we said earlier about, like, it's it's used as a way to develop an antagonist, yes. where it's it's trying to, it's used as a way to show, well, Jefferson's the, the villain, yeah, whereas kind of. Washington is not the villain, he's sort of... For the, most of the show, buddies with Hamilton, yeah, and so they're not really wanting to highlight that, right? Again, yeah, the issues are used in service of character and the narrative, and not yeah. as issues themselves. Which it's a musical, so you know it's yeah. telling a narrative about character. And I also think that quote you mentioned from from Chernow is fascinating. I think it stands out to me. I mean, obviously, historians sometimes do get attached to the yeah. if they if they especially if they're like a a biographer, yeah. the the particular person they study, which is a definitely a it can be a problem. But I also think there's there's this desire to for people to be like, okay, is Hamilton good or bad? Yes. <laughs> like there's like, yes. is he the good guy or is he the bad guy? We need to know, so we need to know. And and history is usually not so simple. No, and of I think, not. but I think especially in the case of the founding fathers and the fact that a lot of the other notable founding fathers, as you as we talked about earlier, since the '90s have come under criticism for slaveholding. I think there's a desire to like find like a good founding yes. father, yeah. right? Be like, can Hamilton be like the good one, yes. sort of thing? And yes. and some people, you know, really want him to be the good one, mm-hmm. and some people really maybe don't, or or maybe some people want to identify that like well it's complex and like it hopefully i think people would people need to realize is like at least my view is i don't think this effort to try to find a good one is productive no not at Uh, all and it it seems like 
we are asking too much of people in the past. If if a genre like founder chic is asking like one person to be like the major shaper yeah. of a nation, like that's a that's not true, <laughs> and b these are these are people. Yeah. Flawed people, neither sinners nor saints, many of whom were doing the best they knew how to do, like most of us are are today. So, like, can we just let them be people and not these big abstractions that we want them to be? I, I see this. Sorry, Lewis. One, one other thought that I realized I did want to make about the show's portrayal of Jefferson. Hmm. Yeah. So Hamilton, because Hamilton needs to be, because Hamilton is identified with the U.S., Hamilton has to be so many things that the show wants to say about the U.S. Yeah. So in the rap battles... Hamilton is interested in the nation as a whole, and Jefferson and James Madison are more interested in the South as a region. They're sort of sectionalists, and mm. Hamilton is this nationalist, and it's like, well, that's not really how that worked. That's not a fair characterization. So I think if, if we just lowered the stakes a little bit for these people and gave them kind of room to breathe as real human people, then it's we're able to, I think, be a little less protective and attached to them being sinners or saints, which none of them were either way. Another thing that comes up in the show, the show's portrayal of Hamilton as kind of the U.S., this show is all about meritocracy, basically. Yes. Hamilton gets to where he is because he is brilliant and hardworking, which which is established right in the beginning, in the first song, when we're introduced to Hamilton. As, he's the $10 founding father without a father, who got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter, and by being a self-starter. And the historian in me wants to add, and by marrying into one of New York's richest families. (laughs) Which, of course, doesn't work lyrically and doesn't work with the story's view of the U.S. No. Like, if we add kind of the, the social and structural reasons for Hamilton's ascent, what then does that say about early Republican U.S. and the U.S. today? So yeah, I mean, that that sort of goes back to if we could just lower the stakes and not ask any one person to stand in for the country, that would be great. We don't have a great track record of that in the U.S. where we <laughs> basically deified the founders and carved their heads into a mountain on stolen Indian right. land. So that's, uh, that's going to take some time. But I do appreciate that a show like this in some ways does really show these people as flawed. Flawed, sometimes likable, sometimes not. Human beings. Right. Yeah. I'm impressed by how much of the the lyrics you know as well. I, you know, I, I have maybe like two thirds if I'm lucky because some of it's just really fast. But I am I am really into this show, so it's actually not that surprising. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. This has been really fun to talk to you about. Yeah. Thank you so much for for joining me. Yeah. Do you have anything you're working on that you'd like to tell the listeners oh. about, or do you want them to follow you on Twitter or anything sure. like that? Sure. Um, well, this has. No relation to U.S. history at all, but I That's do fine. a little closer to my research field. I work on a digital mapping project uh, run by my supervisor about early modern, so 16th and 17th century Florence, as well as Livorno, which is kind of the port city of Florence in Tuscany in this period. And I'm currently working on a 3D visualization of the city circa... Mm. Uh, like mid 17th century. Hmm. So stay tuned for that going live in hopefully by the end of the year. That's very cool. I did a, well, I did an episode of this podcast with Graham, who you know about Renaissance Florence Yes, a little while ago. So maybe that's a nice tie in with that for people who who listen (laughs) to that episode and want to, want to check it out. Very cool. Yeah. And how can they, how can they find that? So basically, if you go to Decima, D-E-C-I-M-A slash map dot net, that takes you to the website. I also can share that link with you and we can, if you want to put it in the show notes. Sure. Yeah, I can do that. Cool. 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 All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for talking to me yeah. today. Thank you, Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> I just called you Hamilton. Woo. Thank you, Lewis. This has been a pleasure. That's all for our interview today. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Hannah for joining me on the show. In today's episode, we mentioned an article by Lyra Montero. It's titled Race-Conscious Casting and the Erasure of the Black Past in Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Also worth a look is the book Historians on Hamilton, How a Blockbuster Musical is Restaging America's Past, edited by Renee C. Romano and Claire Bond-Porter. This book includes Montero's essay and also has some other pieces worth reading. 
Finally, I'll also include a link to a Smithsonian article Hannah mentioned about recent research indicating that Alexander Hamilton was a slaveholder. Off-Campus History is on all the major podcast apps, so subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review or tell someone you know about the show. It really helps me out. Also, I post some images related to each episode on Facebook and Instagram, so if you want to see those, be sure to follow the show on those platforms. If you're a fellow historian who'd like to be on the podcast, shoot me an email at offcampushistory at gmail.com as I'm looking to line up future guests. I'd love to hear other people's comments on the show as well. Artwork for the podcast was made by Neth Karia, and music was made by Nella Ruiz. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time for some more off-campus history. Thank you.